this passage today um, is one of those bittersweet passages. Uh, it, it is loaded with great truths. Uh, at the same time, it is one of the passages that can be uh, very painful. It was a very painful week for me as I prepared and, and looked at it and thought through it and thought about the implications for my own life in the passage. So I want to challenge you today as we look at this for you to uh, let it sink deep within your soul because it is a very important passage for all of us. Pride is something all of us want exposed in ourselves, right, believers? So we can, by God's grace, kill it, right? We all want to know the pride that dwells within our soul so we can mortify it. Humility is also something all of us long to have more of, right? All believers say, amen, I want to be more humble. So, we should pursue humility through a knowledge of God, as we will see as this passage goes along. The scary thing is, pride is hard to see in ourselves because of our own pride. Pride blinds us to pride. And humility is hard to promote within ourselves because the pride we don't see keeps us from being humble. You've got to think on that a little bit. Again, we are more prideful than we think we are, and we are less humble than we think we are. It is very much like the ant who was riding on the elephant across a bridge. The ant said to the elephant when they got to the other side of the bridge, Did you notice how we shook that bridge? See, the problem is the ant thought a lot of himself. Thought he was really big when he was really small. That is very much like our hearts. We often think very big of ourselves when we really should see that we're just a little ant. We all have a tendency to think bigger of ourselves than we should. And at the same time, this high estimation of ourselves causes humility to be an impossible attitude for many of us. Our view of ourselves eclipses, eclipses our view of God and the gospel. It is so important for us to all understand that a big view of self causes us to forget the glory of God revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we are constantly elevating ourselves and thinking about ourselves in our mind, guess who we're not thinking about? And if we're not thinking about God, there's no way for us to be humble. Did you catch that? When we are as Brian Regan calls it, me monsters. We walk around in this world thinking way too high of ourselves and our opinions and way too low of God and his way of thinking. So pride is rampant and humility is non-existent. It's even compounded by our culture and our day and our society because after all, we are all independent we are all hedonistic. We are all about ourselves. When we are a me monster, we don't have our eyes and minds and hearts fixed on the glory of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, resurrected, and reigning. 
Today we're going to see a great contrast of characters in this passage. Two characters who are completely opposite. One who is completely focused on himself and the other who is completely focused on God. As we see in this passage, our focus determines whether we are prideful or humble. Again, I cannot stress this enough to you. You cannot say, okay, I'm going to start being humble and look at yourself. Okay, today I'm going to be humble and examine yourself and say, oh, I'm humble. Okay, I'm humble now. The only way for you to become humble is to get your eyes off yourself and on to the Creator. As your eyes are on Christ and Him crucified, the glory of the gospel, you become small and you think of yourself as small. But when your eyes are on yourself, it's impossible. You will, in fact, be prideful. Even if you are walking around in misery. Oh, I'm so miserable. Oh, I'm so wretched. Look at me, I'm so bad. That can be actually a prideful statement. Pride comes when you focus on yourself. Humility comes when you have a good, healthy glimpse of God. Again, this passage, we're going to look at the dramatic contrast of characters. The passage reveals the heart of a saved person and exposes the heart of a person self-deceived. Let's look at the basic outline of the passage. There's the setting in verse 9, the explanation in verses 10 through 13, that should be 10 through 13, and the point of the parable. This is very much like the previous section where Jesus gave a parable. And there's a, a brief introduction, a setting, telling who's doing it and the audience that he's talking to the explanation of the parable, and then he gives a, a point of the parable to kind of drive it home to those that are listening. So briefly, let's look at the setting of the parable, and then we're going to focus mostly on the parable itself this morning. First, the setting, the setting for the parable. There's obviously the teacher or the one who is telling it is Jesus. It says he. Jesus is the one that's talking like we saw last week. He uses parables often to illustrate important truths. In this case, the parable is an act of mercy. Listen closely. He warns the self-righteous of their coming judgment. He exposes their prideful heart. And he gives them a way to be right with God. This is a great act of mercy from our Savior. As he teaches this passage, he says, Look, this is what pride looks like. This is what humility looks like. If you go with humility, you will walk out declared right. But if you go with pride, you get no righteousness, only your own. The audience is described with two little phrases. These phrases are very, they expose so much about those that were listening to Jesus. First it says, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Jesus was speaking directly to those who were listening to him and who were trusting in their own righteousness. Folks, this is a deadly condition to be in. This condition of the heart is often most common amongst 
religious people. People who are doing religious deeds for the purpose of self-exaltation. These are what religious people are all about in many cases. The word trusted here, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, means literally to have confidence in themselves. These people actually saw themselves as righteous. This literally means they believed they were characterized by righteousness continuously. And they put hope in themselves. They had confidence in their own self-righteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a deadly place to be. You don't want to be characterized this way. Notice also they were characterized as those who viewed others with contempt. I can't stress this enough to you. When you think high of yourself, you will think low of others. You will have a tendency to think, oh, I'm something and they're nothing. You will walk around looking at everybody else and saying, boy, did you see that guy's sin? Oh, I was listening on the radio the other day and that preacher said that. Now, yes, we should discern false teachers and false prophets. However, there, we can fall into this trap of going and using our knowledge of theology as an excuse to elevate ourselves. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what religious people can do. If you have a lot up here, it means nothing if you elevate yourself over everybody else. That's what these religious people were doing. They thought highly of their own righteousness and they looked at others with contempt. A person who is always looking down at other people in judgment is probably a self-deceived unbeliever. Did you hear that? These types of people who are often found floating around churches and religious crowds. They are excellent at finding fault in others, but they have blind spots to their own sin. This pride drives them to condemn everybody but themselves. This is who was listening to Jesus as he tells this second parable on prayer. Ladies and gentlemen, even if we are born-again believers in Christ and have come to understand who we are, we are all still prone to be this way. You are prone to think highly of yourself as long as you are in this body of flesh, this body of death you carry around. You are prone to take knowledge that you have and look down on other people and think that you are something when you are really, guess what? Nothing. And this was what the crowd was all about that Jesus was addressing. It appears that Jesus is obviously portraying the Pharisee in the parable as an example of those that were listening. In other words, I'm going to tell you a story. And ultimately, you're the bad guy in the story. And then he brings up someone else in the story to show who the one that really knows God and what he's really like. It's very interesting Anybody in Jesus' day that would have thought highly of their righteousness and looked at others with contempt, it would have, they would have thought highly of the Pharisee and looked at contempt 
towards the tax collector. So the very one Jesus is calling them to be like is the one that they would have been sitting in judgment of the most. Everything God thinks often is the opposite of what the world thinks. Everything you think can be the opposite if it's not directed by what? This. And a humble heart. In effect, Jesus says to these people, You are like this Pharisee. Repent or you will die in your sin of pride and self-sufficiency. That's what he says in the passage. So I don't want to focus our attention on the parable and this dramatic contrast of characters. Look down at your Bible and we're going to see that there are two main characters. There, are, there is the self-righteous Pharisee and the humble tax collector. I ask you, as we go through this, out of these two characters, which would you say your life most reflects? <laughs> which one do you look like the most? Do you look like the self-righteous Pharisee or do you look like the humble tax collector? My prayer is, is that as we go through this, you will go, oh, I need to be more like the humble tax collector and do what he did, which is pursue an understanding of God so you will then see who you really are. And you will say, oh, I need to turn from being a self-righteous Pharisee. If you're a believer, you should have at least at one point in your life come to this knowledge and awareness. If you haven't seen yourself as the humble tax collector at any point in your life, today is the day of salvation. You need to be that man. But as believers, again, we can still fall into the trap. So it's always a good reminder. Let's start with the self-righteous Pharisee. Notice in verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Oh, folks. Do you see the pride screaming out of the man's voice? Do you see it in the description? Isn't it the most obvious of all passages we've maybe read lately? It's very clear that this man is proud, correct? Jesus gives a perfect picture of a proud Pharisee. Pharisees were those conservative religious ones of their day. They were considered the most holy of their society. They were the religious right of their time. They were the ones who screamed for righteous living. They wanted moral purity. But they were the righteous in their own eyes. That's who they really were. They were a clear picture of religious pride. And so Jesus uses a Pharisee as his example of the one who will face judgment. They are those who trusted in their own righteousness and condemned everyone else. So they're a perfect example of the audience that's listening. I want you to notice, he is proud, he's a Pharisee, and he emphasizes I. <laughs> In the little passage that describes the Pharisee, 
I is mentioned five times. That's a good good observation and a, a quick trigger to see whether or not somebody is prideful. The biggest clue the Pharisee's pride is the focus is who is the main subject of his time and his prayer and all that he says. Every one of the verbs in the Pharisee's prayer has the first person singular as its implied subject. I, thank you. I am not that. I do this. I do this. This guy is so self-centered, he does not realize how self-centered he is. Oh, folks, listen. Who, listen closely, who is the main subject? Who is the main subject of your conversations? (laughs) Who is the main subject of your prayer life? And you say, well, Mike, aren't I supposed to, as I pray, aren't I supposed to say, God, I'm hurting, I need you. Yeah, you are. But the emphasis is then on who? Needing God, not on you. The focus is on your neediness, not on how valuable you are. Look, yes, Scripture is very clear in Psalm 139. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. But take that as a granted, right? And don't focus on yourself so much. Whether it's in your prayer life or your relationship with friends or your relationship at work, ask this question of yourself. Who is the main topic of your conversation when you talk with other people? If it's you, you've got a problem. You get it? And we see it in our prayer life. I challenge you. Start writing out a prayer journal. (laughs) Start writing your prayer journal out. Take your prayer journal out. In about two or three weeks, go back and look how many times you focus on yourself. I, by God's grace, did a lot of prayer journaling when I first became a believer. Those are not fun prayer journals to read. (laughs) I was me-centered, even in my prayer life. I think if I circled all the eyes on some of the pages, it would be the predominant subject of my prayer journal. Problem was, Mike was all about Mike. And we can fall into that trap, too. This guy was all about himself. Who's the primary subject in your conversations with God? Who's the primary subject in your conversation with others? Let me ask you a question. That doesn't happen, by the way, just a a warning here. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't share your burdens with people. I'm not saying, now I know what's going to happen. Some of y'all are going to walk up to me. I can't say anything about me. Okay, I'm going up to Pastor Mike. I'm afraid that he's going to judge me, so I can't say anything about myself. Come on, that's not what I'm saying. But, if over a six-month period, all you do is talk about yourself every time you come up and talk to me, there should be some concern there, 
Shouldn't there be? Ladies and gentlemen, we need to get our eyes off ourselves so much. We are prideful, and it needs to die. We need a better view of God, don't we? That means, by the way, don't do this. Walk up to me and tell me about, did you see such and such do that? Because you're doing the same thing. You just elevated yourself over the person you're telling on. Stop! <laughs> Let's don't be the Pharisee in this parable. By the way, notice also his independent spirit. <laughs> this guy is dependent on no one, including God. He is his own Lord, and his religion is his way of expressing his self-sufficiency. He's his own God. He is convinced that he is able to be righteous all by himself through faith in who? Himself. <laughs> I trust in myself and I can be righteous. You watch. I am righteous, as a matter of fact. I don't even have to say I have to trust in it because I'm just that good. I'm just righteous. Notice, even in his prayer, before the prayer starts, it says... He was praying this to himself. Uh-oh, warning, warning. If your prayer direction is yourself, know that you are a prideful person. If you pray to hear yourself pray, that's a problem. If you pray and say, oh, I am so religious, I am now pray, praying to God in ways of trying to earn a right standing with God or any favor from Him. You are this man. This is the height of arrogance, folks, and pride. He goes to the temple, it says. Both of them went to the temple for the purpose of what? Praying. One goes to the temple in public. This is how it's done, by the way, today. <laughs> Same similarities with some of the Jews that go today. They go to the Wailing Wall. They go up there. You've, I visited. They are there doing this and saying their prayers out loud. So everybody hears them. So you go to the temple to pray. <laughs> One goes to pray to God. The other goes to pray to himself. Why didn't he stay at home if he was going to pray to himself? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, when you read this passage, why didn't he just stay home? If he's going to talk to God, or he's going to talk to himself and call it God, why didn't he stay home? The answer is because he was praying to himself so others could hear him. He used the phrase, the title God, only to grab the attention of other listeners. God. I thank you. At first glance, when I looked at this, I, I mean, this guy looks like he gets the sovereignty of God pretty well. He's got enough religious theology in there that's just totally whacked out. Why? Because he says this, I thank you that I'm not like them. He implies what? Sovereign grace. Oh, God, you've, you've done it? Is that what he's implying? 
No, that's called religious thoughts that just come out of the mouth of a person that's self-focused. We banter around and use phrases all the time without thinking through what we say sometimes in our religious activity. How many of you have ever sang a verse of a song and not really thought about what you were singing? No, I'd never do that, Mike. <laughs> You're sitting there singing away, singing away, worship to, the, to God and thinking, Man, Monday's going to be a really hard day at work. Man, I'll tell you what, I hope my kids aren't destroying the nursery in there. Man, do you see what she's wearing? Are we doing the same thing as this guy? Who are we singing to? ourselves and so other people will see us singing what is that religious pride shame on us right now this may seem a little strange to think of praying to ourselves but folks when we pray to be noticed we're doing the same thing you know you might ask, how do I get involved and I get up on stage and start singing? How do you get up here? How do you get up here? Well, I'll tell you how you don't get up here. You ready? Go to every one of the elders and say, I think I have a gift to sing. Let me stand up there, please. Please don't do that. <laughs> Stop! Because that's saying what? I'm something special. God's given me a gift. Use me. Now, how do you get that out there then without being just arrogant? Or, you know, how do you do it? Well, here's what you do. You trust God and sing and worship him. Okay? Trust God, sing, and worship him. Do I think you can express your gifts? Sure. I think you need to be very careful of trying to get out front. One of the things, and I think Ryan and I and Ronaldo would all say, one of the things that, you know, Mr. Mark just absolutely hates to admit is, but he, he's not about himself at all, is he? Mark Salmon. He's like, I don't want to be out there. <laughs> is there anybody else who can do it? <laughs> That's the very thing that drives me to say he needs to do more of it. He's got the gift set. But the thing I love about him, and I've learned so much about him, is, is that Mark's not about Mark. Now, now that I've said that, that's like death, right? And he's like, <laughs> I wish you'd shut up. Please stop talking about me. But the Pharisee was all about I and praying to himself. It's so important, folks, in our worship expressions to direct our attention to God, not ourselves or other people. It's about total humility and dependence upon God, not in order to exalt ourselves before man. God does not need us 
to come to him. What? He doesn't need us to come to him. He lovingly wants us to come to him so we will depend upon him. When we come thinking God needs us to come to him, we are in fact elevating ourselves too, the same way. God doesn't need anybody in this room. He doesn't need me. God, by his loving mercy and grace, lovingly draws us to himself that we may call out to him. So we will find our satisfaction in him and depend on him. That's what prayer is about, isn't it? Prayer is not about being heard by other people. It's about dependence upon God and trusting him. Again, the question that has probably been asked more than any other in this church is, why do we do what we do? It is the question. Why do I do what I do? Why do I pray? When you roll out of bed in the morning and you feel obligated to sit down and pray for 15 minutes to get your devotion in, oh, I've got to do this. I'm required to do this. I must do this. Does it in your heart give you this big warning flag? Does it go off in your head? I should want to do this. Why am I not wanting to do this? The answer to that question is, is because we still are so sinful, we do not realize how sinful we are. God created us to enjoy Him and delight in Him. So when we roll out of bed and we complain in our heart about doing the devotion or praying to Him because I have to, we are falling back into that same trap, aren't we? Of religious duty. Because we think we are somehow coming with something of value to God instead of having it the proper way that God is so valuable, I roll out of bed, God, I'm here again! Wow! Another day to pray with you and commune with you. We are way too much like the Pharisee. Notice two more religious disciplines that are listed by the Pharisee. He says, literally, I fast twice a week. It was suggested during Jesus' day by the Pharisees that fasting twice a week was particularly pious and religious. Fasting originally was given by God to be something for people to depend on Him and to look to Him and focus their attention completely on the Lord. To avoid eating for a period of time for the purpose of being more devoted to Christ or to God and to seeking Him. But fasting became a way to be considered more righteous. Again, motors are everything. Giving up a meal so that you can be more religious is horrible. To be more accepted or looked at with favor is horrible. And I don't know about you guys, but I struggle with mixed motives. Here's my, here's my issue with fasting. I do it. And if I did it, I have this horrible track record of about two or three weeks later, it coming up in conversation and saying, yeah, I fasted the other week. 
don't tell anybody. Nobody needs to know. It's not about people knowing that you do it. How about that? Otherwise, even at that very moment, I'm taking and elevating myself up and saying, I did it. I did it. I have a very hard time breaking down my motives in my heart when I do that. Uh, Am I the only one? Anybody else? That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 16, this is what he said. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance, so they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now wait. There needs to kind of be a little bit of an addition here because our pious religious minds have done this. It says, But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men. And by the way, don't announce it two weeks later either. It's not about you. If you fasted, you had time with God, hopefully. If not, you've missed the whole point. Don't tell me you're fasting. I don't want to hear it. And by the way, if I tell you, rebuke me. How about this one? Here's another one. I pay tithes of all that I give. All that I give. The law had required the Jews to pay 10%, right? Of their wages. And Jesus presents this guy as the one of those who tithe on everything. Again, for Jesus' world, this would have been a good Pharisee. But Jesus is condemning this self-exalting, self-righteous man. The Pharisee did religion for the purpose of self-elevation. Praying to himself, all about himself, elevating himself over others, exalting his independent religious accomplishments. This, folks, is a spiritually dead person. I'll tell you. Our giving is one of the worst, isn't it? It is. You do. You give something, it, it'll show your heart in a flat second. And again, two weeks later is when it might pop up. <laughs> when you don't get that thank you card and you, that you expected. You put the, you know, we, one of the main reasons why, initially at least, we didn't want to pass the plate is because we really didn't want it to be about anybody who gives certain things. You know, you have 20 people in the room. That's how many we have. And, you know, we didn't, a visitor comes in, oh, look, they give, and they give. And you do that. I, see, I, I struggle with that because it really shouldn't be about what you see me doing, right? So we put it over on the box. But again, like I've told you before, the box can be the same way. If you're walking out the door, hey, 
Look. Look. You, you pause. You pause. It's the strategic look at me religious act pause. Everybody's looking. I can hold out a little bit longer. Or you give something to somebody. Now this one happens. It happens. We give something to somebody and we make sure that other people are around and they see it when we give it. All those things. Oh, folks, when we give, it is not about what we are doing. It's about gratitude to God, isn't it? It's not about us. A spiritually dead person gives in order to be noticed or exalted. Remember, this is what everyone saw in the temple normally. And this is what the religious Jews did during Jesus' day. And Jesus is rebuking it. I can't stress this enough. Jesus did this and showed this to expose the person so that they would see that they needed him. Jesus presented this, this Pharisee as spiritually dead. I want you to notice he was spiritually dead. Look at this. Now, uh, his prayer is staggering. And, and no, we're probably not going to get through both of them, but that's all right. It's good stuff. I'm enjoying this. Are y'all enjoying this is a good look at your heart. Hopefully you're seeing it very clearly. Is this a spiritually true statement? God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Is that a spiritually true statement? Let me just ask you a little question. I was reading through a commentary, and one of the commentators said, you know, we actually do this and it's not too bad. It's not wrong. He said, he said we do things like this. God, thank you for the grace that I'm not like that guy over there. Thank you for protecting me from doing that over there. Now, at times we go, well, that is true, right? as long as our attention is on really thanking God for who He is and what He's done. But if our attention is on elevating ourselves and thank you that I'm not like Him, we've forgotten something. And what is that? We've forgotten we are that person. We are that person. Do you think you're better than the swindlers, the thieves, the unjust and the adulterers? If you do... You need to go back to 101s. Basics, 101. Salvation 101. You ready? Yes, you are. You're a thief. Let's do a check real quick. Anybody ever steal anything in their life before? If you say no, you're a liar. Whether it's a quarter off your mom or dad's dresser, how about this? Have you contemplated stealing something in your heart before? Oh, because after all, isn't that what Jesus says, where the heart is and what you've contemplated and really meditated on? That is who you are? 
I'm in a room full of thieves, and I'm the greatest of thieves. The unjust. He literally says, I'm not unjust. This literally means, I'm not unrighteous. <laughs> Ooh, not unrighteous? Are you kidding me? Have you read Psalm 14? The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understands, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So guess what? This Pharisee is not sinless, but he thought he was. And adulterers, we all know the passage. Jesus says, as soon as you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery within your heart. There is no one in here that could stand or even come close to saying this statement. Because it's very important. He's talking about his character, who he is. I thank you, I am. This is literally a state. A state. This is, I am by no means characterized at all as this. You know what that is? A lie. And then we know he's talking out loud. And he says, even like this tax collector. Oh, isn't it ironic that the one that is weeping and truly repentant, he kicks him in the face on the way. I'm not like you. I'm not wicked like you. Oh, folks. This is a beautiful exposure of the human condition apart from God. Let me ask you a question. The people you work with that are unbelievers, who are they? They're unbelievers, Mike. They're really wicked. Their language is horrible. You are that man. But I don't cuss like that. I don't talk like that. I don't act like that. I don't do those things. If you don't, it is only because of the grace of God. And in fact, you are that apart from God. I don't think we should ever stop thinking this. Is it just me? I think one of the big things, I was listening to my favorite heretic. I say that tongue-in-cheek. Micah, Micah Armstrong, the guy that goes on, on campus and preaches, uh, open-air preacher. He literally said, we, I, am, I am without sin. I go, I go days without sinning. He says, I even go weeks without sinning. He wouldn't say months. He says, but I'm free of sin. I'm like, oh, man, this guy, as soon as he said that, I was like, man, you are 1 John 1.8. If you say that you do not sin, you call God a liar, and the truth is not in you. But 
that's where our heart goes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is crazy how we exalt ourselves over people and how prone we are to this. It happens all the time. I want you to think about the religious activities that are happening right this minute all over the world. And the vast majority of them are not with attention on God, but on attention on self. This is, this is staggering. It's the same. How do we kill this pride? How do we kill this pride? Answer, we need a better glimpse of God's glory. We need to know God better. What's wrong with the Pharisees' works? Nothing apart from God's grace. But when they're accomplished by Him and Him alone, it's pride, sinful, self-righteousness. The Pharisees' wrong theology is obvious, isn't it? What's his theology? Here it is. You ready? And by the way, this is the religious person that is unsaved's theology. God is not personally aware of person a person's motives. He is more interested with what it looks like on the outside. That's wrong theology. Second, God is less than perfectly righteous in all of his standards. They think God is okay with just praying five times a day. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Is that righteousness to God to pray five times a day? I mean, think about this for a second. Just for a second. God is helping you breathe every breath. He's feeding you. And as long as I punch that clock with five times praying daily, he'll accept me. You know what that is? That's like saying, God, I spit on your righteousness. I think it's like down here instead. By the way, we in cultural Christian America have changed it to as long as I go to church once a week. That means nothing. That's worse than the five times a day in some ways. Oh, folks. The false teacher says God is more concerned with externals than the heart. And he also thinks mankind is able to be good. And mankind does not have the same sinful nature as Adam. Ultimately, it comes down to one main thing. You ready? Big view of self, low view of God. So, in application and conclusion, we'll get the second half next week. Do you have an accurate view of God and yourself? Is your relationship with God all about how others view you? Is your relationship with God all about what you do for Him? Or is it about what He did for you? Are you more concerned with critiquing others than evaluating your own heart? Who is the hero in most of your stories? 
Yourself or God? Who is the sinner in most of your stories? Others or yourself? Pride, ladies and gentlemen, is having a high view of self and having a desire to elevate yourself. Independence is having a high view of one's own abilities and acting as if we are Lord over ourselves. This is what the Pharisee was in the story. A proud, independent man that Jesus was saying was headed for judgment. It's staggering to me that pride is possible even in our prayer life. When we saw last week, prayer implies humble dependence. But the key is this. True prayer is revealed by what is going on inside your heart and what the direction of the petition is. True prayer is not fully revealed by what we do with our hands or our eyes or our mouth. True prayer is determined by what's going on inside our hearts. You can get up tomorrow and pray for 15 minutes and sin doing it. You can read your Bible for hours a day and sin doing it. Really? Yes. What do you do when you come to this realization that you have been doing these things to earn favor with God? Repent. Cry out to the holy God that hates this kind of life of self-exaltation. Be like the tax collector. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your kindness towards us. Know how many times, Lord, we have gone to you with selfish motives. How many times, Lord, have we done religious activities just to be noticed? How many times have we complained about our circumstances to get a listening ear? Oh God, how many times have we elevated ourselves and eclipsed the glory of your Son? Oh, God, forgive us and give us a fresh glimpse of Jesus, our Savior, that we may serve him with pure hearts, focused on you, trusting in you, dependent upon you, humbled by your amazing grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.